Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. So I have to share with you all, I'm so excited for you to meet our next guest. This woman, it was somebody that I met actually through Brand Builders Group. Um, and somebody that we started to talk about her brand strategy and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't personally familiar with her before and she is a rock star and a total firecracker. And I don't know how we hadn't crossed paths before, but I'm telling you, you are, you're going to, you're going to love uh, this woman. Um, her name is Lovey Ajayi. Um, she is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker and digital strategist who really kind of lives at the intersection of like comedy, technology, and then activism. So um, her, her first book was called I'm Judging You, um, the Do Better Manual. Uh, was an instant New York Times bestseller. She also has a TED Talk that has like 4 million views, which of course I'm very jealous of because her TED Talk has more views than mine, but that's okay. <laughs> um, and she has a podcast called Ransom and Randomness, where she shares a lot of her, you know, raves and faves. And so she kind of like, you know, she interviews, she's interviewed people like Oprah Winfrey and Gina Davis and Shonda Rhimes. And she just like is, she critiques pop culture and then is also like using her voice for gender and racial justice. She has a course, a school called the Do Better Academy which teaches people how to thrive in their business and their careers. Anyways, I'm telling you, she's just uh, awesome. So, Lovey, thank you for making time for us. Thank you for having me, Rory. So, you've been blogging for 16 years. I didn't even know the word blog had been around for 16 years. Right, right. Yeah, I started blogging in 2003 when I was a freshman in college. And I was peer pressured into doing it. Because I'm very peer pressionable. Like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like yeah, totally. My friends were like, we're going to start web blogs. You should too. And I was like, okay. And I started blogging about my undergrad life. And back then, my major, because I thought I was going to be a doctor, my major was psychology pre med. And then I got a D in chemistry, chemistry ah. that semester. I blogged about that too. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know what? I don't think I'm going to be a doctor anymore. <laughs> I don't even like hospitals. So that's not going to work for me. So as that dream died, the blogging thing kind of took over. And I looked at it very casually. For me, it was just this thing that I'd like to do after I went to class or maybe I didn't go to class that day. 
and it took on a life of its own. Like basically people, more people started reading it. Back then there wasn't like a career as a blogger. It wasn't considered a thing. It was just this thing that you did. It was like your online diary. When I graduated from college in 2006, I actually deleted my college blogs. I was like, well, I kind of feel like I finished a phase. I don't have the material that I had before. I'm going to start a new blog where I'm talking less about me and my life and talking more about the world. And I started awesomelylovey.com. Actually, August 8th, 2006 is when wow. I started. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That is so wild. So it's interesting because, you know, like if someone goes and sees you now, they're like, oh, she's got hundreds of thousands of followers and blah, blah, blah. But how do you stick with something for 16 years? Like there's got to be times when you're like, I'm freaking sick of this or like, I don't have anything to say or, I mean, is there, or has it always just been like, you always got stuff to say and <laughs> you're like, well, I think the power of blogging and the gift of blogging back then, because there were no expectations of it being a career was that we were able to, a lot of us who started that early, a lot of you didn't, didn't continue. So that's why you don't know their names. I always say that I wasn't necessarily the one who threw the best party. I was the one who threw many parties and just kept on throwing them. Mm. And writing was a practice. So I didn't realize that I was actually practicing this craft. For me, it was just something that felt like a hobby, something that was low stress, which funny enough, made it more fun. So I did it over and over. I kept on doing it. I, it didn't feel like something that I was obligated to do. And I think that was a gift in that it allowed me to build that writing practice, but also it allowed me to build the voice that was authentically me because it wasn't strategic. It wasn't like I was thinking, huh, I should cover this today because that'll get me some Google hits or mm-hmm. clicks. Back then you were writing for the love of writing. And I really didn't realize that it was something that had become increasingly important to me until I realized that when I didn't write, it felt wrong. Mm. So what do you think so let's talk about the writing thing, because I know you're a speaker also, and I want to talk about that, like you and I kind of share that. But I came at it backwards. I wanted to be a speaker. Like I spent my, my whole college was like doing the world championship public speaking, and I wanted to be a speaker. And then it was like, oh, if you really want to make it as a speaker, you got to have a book. And you know, if you can write a bestseller. So I was like, okay. So then I stumbled into writing, and then I've since like fallen in love with the idea What do you think are some of the secrets of great writing, particularly today, right? Because there's so much noise, like, and it's not just, it's like there's books and there's eBooks and there's podcasts and there's your, you know, random social and now there's video and like your feed, you know, like Jay Bear, he's another friend. He's one of the other faculty members. He always says like, you're not just competing with other writers. You're competing with everything that competes for attention, cute puppy dogs and fantasy football. And so like, yeah, and babies, right? How do you compete with babies? How do you write to compete with babies? Knowing that you are not competing with babies, that you can exist in the same space with the cute baby. I think what cuts through the noise and what elevates content is content that feels really authentic and thoughtful and does not feel contrived. Because I think all of the media that we consume now has actually gotten us slightly better in picking out what's contrived and what's not. And now when you are a writer, what makes you stand out, honestly, is the voice and the perspective that you bring. Because let's be clear, none of us are talking about something that nobody else is talking about. Mm. There's a million people talking about the same thing you're talking about. You will not be the singular person covering a topic. And you have to be fine with that. 
what people want to hear and what makes people come back is they're like, I see myself and I see my thoughts in what this person is saying, or they just gave me a perspective I didn't have. I always say that content needs to be either funny or useful or interesting or timely. As many of those that you can be as possible. If you're not funny, don't try to be funny. But if you can be useful and timely, be that, you know? So I just say, take the pressure off trying to compete with the baby because you're not going to win that battle. The cuteness is too much. Mm-hmm. That's not your lane. You're not even running in the same stadium, let alone race. Your job is to create the best content that you can that the barometer I use for myself is if I'm not the person who wrote this, if I'm not the person who created this, would I still find this interesting or good? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, just so kind of like oh, if I was a random person, would this either be funny, useful, interesting, or timely for me if it wasn't me? So I like that a lot. You've used already the word a couple times, authenticity and like your own voice and that kind of a thing. How do you find the line of going, I want to be real and I want to be transparent. I want to be authentic because that cuts through the noise and it's me and I don't want to be fake, but I don't want to share so much like that it's too personal and you know and also it's like there's a risk of being judged right there's this risk of people like you got haters and trolls and yada 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 so like how do you find that line of the right amount of yourself to share with the public yeah that's a great question for me one of my sacred spaces i compartmentalize my work in that i am a public figure but not my whole life is public I don't feel like I owe people access to every piece of my life. And I think some people feel pressure of being like, yeah, how do I figure it out? Know what your lines and your boundaries are. A big line and a boundary for me is my relationship. You know, like me and my fiance, like you won't see him and I post pictures. of Congratulations, by the way, because now you said fiance and only on the influential personal brand, would you ever hear such a personal detail? Rory got the tea. (laughs) But yeah, I think knowing the personal boundaries and why, right? Because you have to know the pieces of yourself that you must protect from people, no matter how much and how large and how deep the information you share elsewhere. So that's a a big piece. Second piece is being clear that Building community that you're telling this information to needs to not just be the larger public. Even though the larger public can have access to it, because be clear that no information that you share online is really private. So also operating off that. But I think about my audience as a singular person. Like you made us do the avatar exercise. And you're saying that every brand needs to have that one person that you're thinking of that you're using to serve. So I think about that person whenever I'm giving information out, like if she's listening to this, if they're listening to this information, will this be helpful to them, even if I'm being vulnerable? And it's with the idea that vulnerability comes with risk. Authenticity Mm -hmm. comes with risk. At no point is the information that you're releasing guaranteed to land perfectly well with everybody, which is why... I use three questions to ask myself whenever I'm sharing any information, anytime I'm talking about something, even when it's difficult. And it's a checklist for myself in these moments to kind of tell me either yes or no, don't do it. Go for it. And mine is, do I mean it? Can I defend it? Am I saying it with love or thoughtfully? And I use that as a checklist because in the moments that I want to be really authentic, really real, really vulnerable, 
it can be scary because you'll be like, am I sure I want to say this? Could this yeah. backlash? See, the thing is, we can't use the idea of could this face backlash as a criteria because we'd say nothing. You can say the sky is blue and somebody's going to disagree with you. So that can't be the barometer that you're using to say yes or no to saying something that you think is important. So I think everyone should come up with their own checklist of things that kind of serve as your own, like, okay, so I'm not being impulsive. I'm not just going on a social media rant just for the sake of fact that I'm angry or sad. Have I thought this through? Is this something that is worth my time to do? Mm. I love that. Do I mean it? Can I defend it? And am I saying it thoughtfully or with love? Yeah. So I want to talk about that last one a little bit because I mean, your books comes right out and says right on the cover, I'm judging you. You make no qualms about it. You are commenting on pop culture. It's really interesting because I think of all like my friends and, you know, various like people we interface with and clients and stuff, you kind of walk this very unique space of being both like a speaker and like a thought leader, but also an activist. How do you kind of find that space or like, you know, is that just something you decided to do? Did you stumble into it? I don't even really know what my question is here. I'm mostly interested in just your perspective on why and how you view the written word as both your right and your responsibility to kind of speak your truths. And how do you kind of reconcile with, you know, the various challenges that come with that? Yeah. So I called my book, I'm judging you because I feel like it's a phrase that feels accusatory, but really at the bottom of it, it's not because we try to tell each other, oh, we don't judge anybody. We don't judge each other. We absolutely do. Mm -hmm. And my thing is we judge each other for the wrong things. We spend so much time judging each other for, you know, what we're looking like, you know, who we love, you know, what God we practice or who, you know, what God we don't believe in that. The things that we're supposed to actually be judging each other on are the values that we bring to the table, how good we're treating each other and other people, how we are leaving this world better than we found it. That's what we need to be judging each other on. You know, we need to judge each other on like, are you just being a good person who cares about other people around you? So I called my book that because I wanted it to hold a mirror to all of us, you know, of being like, yes, we're absolutely judging each other and that's fine, but let's probably shift some of the things that we're judging each other about and how we're walking through this world. And for me, I stumbled upon all my titles that I go by today. I stumbled upon all of them, speaker, writer, whatever activist, this person, like, mm -hmm. I feel like life got me there because I was just doing the things that I was compelled to do. I love that you had clarity at 17. You're like, I'm going to be a speaker at 17. I really thought I was going to be a doctor. So literally uh -huh. everything that I am today is opposite of what I thought I would be. And it's because I ultimately kind of followed the path of doing the thing that I felt like doing. So if it felt like speaking up about this issue, I did. If it was about getting on the stage and talking about this thing, I did. If it was about writing this book, I did. So I don't necessarily take myself seriously in that I was like, yeah, manifested all of this. It was all strategy. None of it was strategy, funny enough. I think my story and my journey is kind of a testament of what happens when you kind of just follow your own, like, your own voice without necessarily doubting it. You know what I mean? Like you follow mm -hmm. the things that you feel like doing without expectation, without any type of like plan and things just kind of came together. One question I get all the time is when people say something like, well, how do you find your voice? Or like, how do you find that thing? 
Yeah. It's less about finding it and more about not doubting it when it's in front of your face. We spent so much time, that low-hanging fruit thing, like that thing that you wake up thinking about doing, that thing that you always like, I should try that. Nah, nah, I'm not going to. That is probably the thing that you should be spending more time on. And because we've been told we're supposed to be the doctors and the lawyers, because everything else kind of has no blueprint, we'll talk ourselves out of doing a lot of things that we want to do. So I think I just didn't talk myself out of it. And when I tried to talk myself out of it, it didn't work. Yeah. So that's the part that I I love that. I think it's like super profound is it's less about sort of finding your own voice and just following your voice without doubting it. The hard part is the without doubting it. Do you think that inherently you're just like a rebel or you're just that courageous or like, why do you think that you didn't stop yourself? Because it sounds like maybe you did have some of those thoughts. It wasn't just like, Lovey's going to tell the world what she thinks and she doesn't care. That's not really what it is. It's more like, well, this is what I think. There could be some negative things about doing this, but I'm going to do it because I feel like I have to, or I feel like I should, or like walk us through that part, the Um, not doubting. Yeah, I think for me, the moments when I wanted to not do the thing that I wanted to do, I paused and I acknowledged that moment. And I was like, yeah, I'm totally frightened. This is frightening. I shouldn't do this. this. It makes no sense. Like, you're not a writer. Anytime I would try to talk myself out of that moment, it will stick with me. Where I couldn't stop mm-hmm. thinking about it. It's like when I walk out of a room and I know I was supposed to have said something and I didn't, it kind of sit with me. I'd be like, ah, I should have just done it. So I hated feeling like that. I hated feeling like I didn't do something I was supposed to do. So I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to do it, even if it's scary. I'm just going to do it and close my eyes and run away if I need to. But I'm just going to do it because I didn't like the feeling of you should have done something when you didn't. So I kind of mm-hmm. operated from that idea is at the end of the day, I have to be okay with me. I have to be able to sit with me. It's less about people's ideas. It's more about, will I be sitting here for three hours obsessing about the fact that I didn't say that thing or do that thing? And if I will, you know what? No, just deal with whatever fallout happens, but at least you won't have the moment of, ah. So it's one of those like having a life of, oh, well, instead of what if. Yeah, the writing thing. And I started realizing that a lot of my, the best things that I've done or the best things that have happened for me have been things that I've done in the middle of being afraid of. Mm. Saying that thing that felt scary. Choosing to not apply for a job because I was like, I think I should make this writer's thing work. All the things that I've done that have paid off by dividends, the TED talk that you're talking about that has like 4 million views, I was afraid of that talk, turned it down twice because I was afraid I wasn't ready for it. Mm. One of my friends ended up being like, hey, you're not everybody. Get this done. You can write this TED talk in two weeks and kill it. And I was like, okay. So in those moments too, it helps when we have people who can reflect us back to us and be like, you don't have the courage right now. I'm going to give you the courage that you should have. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about speaking for a second, because that's become a big part of your current primary business model. Yeah. If somebody wants to be a speaker, like how did that start happening for you? Because it sounds like, you know, this was a casual blog and then it was like, okay, now I'm writing and suddenly I'm a writer. And then how does that become speaking? Like, where do you start getting speaking engagements? Did people come to you? Did you go to them? Like, yeah. how did all that start to happen? 
funny enough, 95% of speaking engagements that I've had, people came to me. Um, even and today? I, even back then. My first speaking engagement was because somebody came to me. So my professional background, after I graduated from college, and I was like, doctor is not it. I really fell in love with marketing and communications because I had an internship during college. So when I graduated, I ended up getting a marketing internship for a nonprofit in Chicago, a journalism nonprofit. And I was like, this is where I belong. I was usually the person who introduced the organizations I worked for to social media because I'm an early adopter of all these platforms. Facebook, I've been on since July 2004. So marketing was big. And then I had a full-time job working for another organization that actually taught nonprofits how to tell their stories using social media. And April 2010, I got laid off that job. But a month later, they hired me to come do a workshop, a Twitter strategy workshop. Wow. First ever paid speaking engagement. From the people that fired you? Yes. <laughs> they hired you as a trainer. Yes. I love that. That is a great story. That is my first ever speaking engagement. And it's funny because at no point was I thinking, oh, I am a speaker. I, they literally was like, we want you to come lead this Twitter strategy training. All right, great. And I did that. And then I got speaking engagements. I got invited to do a panel at Blogger, which at that point was the largest community of women writers in the world. And they had me moderate a panel with Liz Winstead, who's co-creator of The Daily Show. Mm. So like, I felt like I was Forrest Gump. Like, you know how Forrest Gump just stumbled upon these major moments? That was me. And then people saw me in that room. I got my next speaking engagement out of that room. So it was, it basically kind of, organically grew and then the more I spoke the better I got and so a lot of it was just it's been a journey it sounds like of a lot of consistency yes and then a lot of courage to just be vulnerable and say what you feel like you're supposed to say even if you are scared to say it at certain times yeah I call myself a 16 year overnight success Mm-hmm. because people see the hockey stick success and think it just happened. I'm like, it was 16 years of consistency and I'm the person who stayed at the party and you couldn't forget me because I was there the whole time and I continue to be there. That hard work, that consistency, and I'm a forever student. Because mm-hmm. At no point do I think, all right, I have made it. I am here. There's nothing left to do. I'm always evolving in what I'm doing, what I'm speaking on, what I'm teaching, who I am. And my audience has been able to grow with me and see all of that, which is why my book instantly hit the times list without like a lot of, I didn't do any morning national shows. I wasn't on the Today Show. I wasn't on Good Morning America, but my book ended up number five because my audience has seen that consistency. They've been along on the journey. They've seen the story and the transparency and they also see the courage. And I think sometimes we think courage is the big moments of, Maybe you go march or, you know, you sign a big check or I think courage is in the tiny moments, the everyday, the times that we tell ourselves, okay, this piece of doubt that I have, I'm going to move it to the side and do that thing anyway. That thing that I'm afraid of, I'm just going to do it anyway. I don't believe fearlessness means lack of fear. I think fearlessness means you are acutely afraid of that thing. You fear it, but you say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. So that fearlessness also carries me through. Yeah, that is so good. One other question, well, I actually have two other questions, but just in terms of the early adapter, because I see that very much in you, like 
you've been an early adapter. Is there anything that you're paying attention to right now, whether it's like a social media platform or a topic or a trend or like, is there anything that just kind of like has Lovey's attention that you're going, this is coming and you all should be ready for it? <laughs> oh, that's good. People always talk about like video is the next frontier of content, which of course, because people love that. But I think the people who are really doing well right now are creating content that does not feel like it's attached to any larger strategy. If that makes sense. It feels very organic. It feels like you're getting a glimpse to somebody's life. Like the influencers who are doing very well right now are the ones who are telling you about their day, even when they're not sitting in front of the computer screen doing the work. They're the ones who are able to move units and sell books. The ones who people feel personally attached to. I think now people are less, you might have a million followers and, and you get a lot of likes, but if you drop a t-shirt and you can't sell 30, then you really see that right now people are putting a lot of stock into feeling like they know somebody. And whether it's video or in written word, that's huge. That's huge. And it will continue to be huge. But in terms of platform, I'm seeing how all the platforms are mimicking each other's content. I really think Instagram is currently the space that people are spending a lot of their time in. Are you on TikTok? Just curious. You know what's funny? I was thinking about TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. It used to be called what? Musically? I feel like my job is not to be on every platform. TikTok, I'm going to leave to the demographic that it's at right now, which kind of like what teenagers. I'm not on TikTok yet and because my audience is also not on TikTok. So it actually wouldn't even make yeah. sense for me to be on TikTok right now. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing. I, you know, we made that decision with Snapchat a long time ago, just a conscious decision, just not going to do it. I don't regret that one. There's a few that we missed. We were super late to the party with Instagram and like, you know. Really? Well, there was some other stuff going on there, but we had to restart my Instagram profile here recently and restarted it from scratch. So, but I think it's fascinating to see people like you and go like, what are you thinking about? So Instagram is really like the place. It's changed considerably in terms of where I spend my, most of my social media time. It used to be Facebook and then Twitter and then Instagram. It's completely switched. Instagram and then Facebook and Twitter less. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, it's the idea of people feeling like they know you, like they actually know you that is really working. And I think that's super cool. So where do you want people to go, Lovey? If they want to get to know you, they want to follow you and like check you out and see what you're up to. So I am on all the platforms besides Snapchat and TikTok. <laughs> like, I, have- <laughs> I also have the benefit of being a one name social user person. Yeah. So you can find me on all the platforms with just my first name, L-U-I-E. And fun fact, Lovey is actually a British slang that really kind of means darling. Nice. Had you Googled Lovey 15 years ago, the definition in Merriam-Webster would have come up number one. If you Google Lovey now, it's all me. That's a good thing. You own it. Pretty soon, you can be like Oprah and you can be down to one letter. You'll just be L. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is some power right there. Yeah, just oh, And like you will have L Magazine. And you know, like that's just saying. Just. I, honestly, I, listen, Oprah has crowned me her, one of her lists. So I was like, you know, I would not mind being the heir apparent. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I pushed the envelope a little bit more. I'm slightly edgier, but... 
she's amazing. She's actually goals in terms of the evolution of career. She didn't just stick to being the person who was doing one thing. And she's a Chicago girl and made everybody come to her. I'm in Chicago also, and I love my city. So I was like, there's already a model for that. <laughs> yes, there certainly is. Lovey, I want to just thank you. And I think I draw a lot of courage from watching you and just seeing, you know, looking at your body of work and what you've done and just, you know, willing to use your voice to do, you know, good in the world and do what you believe is right and all of that. I think that's really, really tremendous. And I just, I, I'm so thankful that you made some time to, to share with us. And I also want to applaud your consistency, girl. I mean, you've been doing it for a long time and just like, it's, it, it really, you know, it's just, it's just a really, you're a really great story. And I think people can, can learn a lot from just watching you and, and following your steps. Thank you. And I, and I'm really proud of my book. I'm judging you because I feel like it's the manifesto of my thoughts, like my larger thoughts put on paper. So hope you can get it and yeah, follow me on all social. I'm on Instagram specifically also lovey, L-U-V-V-I-E. Rory, you're incredible because when I saw the podcast you did with Lewis, yeah. Two and a half pages of notes. I sent it to all my friends and I was like, you have got to watch this because it was like a master class. And that's when I became obsessed with Brand Builders Group. And I, and I believe I like posted all over Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I was like, y'all have to see this. And then you DM'd me. Mm-hmm. So it's incredible. I, I respect the work that you're doing. I think it's amazing. And glad you exist because this work is necessary. Yeah. Well, thank you. That makes me that makes me feel good. Well, let's rise together, my friend, Absolutely. and uh, inspire inspire people. Um, so we wish you all the best. We'll definitely stay in touch. This won't be the last time. Lovey, Ajayi, everybody. Um, she is fantastic. Make sure that you go follow her. Get the book. I am judging you. Uh, and uh, right now, <laughs> bam, there it is. <laughs> all right, my friend. Take care. Thanks, Rory. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.